Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. So Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3, getting there slowly. Therefore, with joy shall we draw water out of the wells of salvation. The wells of salvation, water drawn out with joy. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 20 reads, The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons, the owls, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. Isn't it wonderful and magnificent that we are the chosen tonight. Ah, he's chosen you. He's chosen me. We are his chosen. Verse, chapter 44 and verse 3. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. And floods upon the dry grounds. I will pour my spirit Upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Oh, water. Isaiah 55 and verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Everyone that thirsteth. Come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 10, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from the heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And verse 11, O Lord, let your word hold it all together. Let us be in agreement with your word tonight, Jesus. In faith, we agree with your word. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. This is God speaking. God is saying, my word will go forth out of my mouth and it will accomplish uh, that very thing that I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Thank you, Jesus. I've heard it said, we've heard it said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Let that be let that be the, the thought on our mind. Let it be the faith in our heart tonight. The spirit, the water. Thank you, Jesus. Has anyone here ever heard of a place called Rodney, Mississippi? Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps not. Rodney, Mississippi is located in Jefferson County in the southwestern part of Mississippi. Prior to 1763, a few years ago, the area was an essential part of the route frequented by Native Americans in the Mississippi River Delta. 
Rodney became permanently inhabited by the French beginning in 1763. The settlement was named Little Gulf to distinguish it from the then larger port town of Grand Gulf. After a few years, the British occupied the settlement during the French and Indian War. In 1781, Spain took control of the West Florida, or West Florida and Mississippi, from the British. By 1778, Spain's power in the region was fading, and the Spanish crown sold the land around the current town of Rodney to wealthy landowner Thomas Kelvet. In 1814, getting a little closer to home, the name of the settlement was changed to Rodney in honor of the territorial judge, famous American lawyer, and politician from that area. Thomas Rodney was his name. In those uh, times, settlements along the Mississippi were growing, and Rodney in particular flourished and grew into an important, bustling river town, mainly because of its port and strategic position on the mighty Mississippi River. Rodney officially became a town in 1828. In the official register of towns, Rodney became a town in 1828. The town of Rodney grew to such political, economical, and cultural status that it lost by only three votes to become the location of the state capital of Mississippi. Rodney was for, uh, famed for its vibrant cultural life, numerous fairs, and noisy trade activity. As it continued to grow, by 1860, it had two banks. It had doctors, barbers, dentists, more than 35 stores. In 1860, more than 35 stores. Multiple hotels, saloons, and riverboat taverns, tinsmiths and wagon makers, and was the first city to have an opera house in Mississippi. Its citizens were well-educated, and its literacy rate was extremely high. There were two newspapers, not just one, but two newspapers, as well as several schools and four churches. Rodney had become a cultural and economic center for the state and was the crossroads for the Mississippi trading. Huh. Rodney was resilient in nature, overcoming in its history two devastating bouts with yellow fever, overcame them both. Outbreaks, or outbreaks, yellow fever outbreaks. It overcame an, an American Civil War battle that happened inside of the city downtown followed by two wildfires which destroyed most of the town. Rodney, Mississippi survived it all until a fatal decision was made. During reconstruction, the last reconstruction, a large ridge of sand was made in the river which resulted in the permanent change of the course of the Mississippi River. As a result of this intervention, the economic lifeline of the city was lost forever. Citizens continued to leave their homes, and by 1930, by 1930, Rodney, Mississippi was officially removed 
from the official list of towns altogether and remains to this day perhaps one of the most beautiful yet creepiest ghost towns in the world. Rodney, Mississippi survived a great many things, but the one thing that the city could not survive was when the water stopped flowing. It was doing well as long as the water was flowing, but when you remove the water, you remove the life. It's the same thing in the scripture. Scripture is it's over and over and over again. We'll read how water is life. Water is the spirit. It represents the spiritual life. And we will survive a great many things, but the one thing we will not survive is if the water stops flowing. We won't survive very long if the outpouring of the Spirit ever slows down or stops. Oh, Jesus. So what does this look like? And for the sake of time, I'll give you the telescopic view. <laughs> And everyone said, thank you, Jesus. John chapter 2. We'll start in John chapter 2. Thank you, Brother Sandin, for being sensitive to the Spirit in your song selections today. Even as we slowed down, we were still singing of the healing power of God. Right in the flow. John chapter 2. We see Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. Hasn't quite yet started, but he's starting to gather some disciples at this point. And there's a wedding. Verse 1, in the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. In John chapter 2, the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I do, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. I'll have to be careful here. But what Jesus is saying, careful for the sake of time. What Jesus is saying is I'm not quite ready to start my ministry yet. It was not his intention to start the ministry yet. I'm not sure why. I don't have that answer. It may be because he's still got some more disciples to gather and some groundwork to lay. I don't know. But he finds himself at a wedding. And at this wedding, which would have lasted about a week long, they ran short on wine. And this was a big deal. We've heard it preached before. This was a big deal in that culture and in that time. And so Jesus' mother, who happens to be there, along with Jesus, sees a problem. Point number one, there's a problem. There's a need. She sees a need, and she refers to her son Jesus. Now history will tell us, or, or it's written, it's believed that Joseph is already passed by this time. There's no more mention of Joseph in the Bible. And it may just be that Mary looks to Jesus because this is the pattern of her life already. He's not performed a, a miracle. We don't see it anywhere in scripture. This is the first time what's about to happen. But there was a need. And I love what she says. Doesn't even respond to Jesus. Jesus said, mine hour is not yet come. What do I got to do with thee, woman? 
His mother said unto the servants, I visualize this happening that she doesn't even respond to Jesus. She looks to the servant and she gives some instruction. And this is so important because if we can grab these things, these principles, these ideas, if we can apply them to our lives, if we will live in agreement with them, bind ourselves to them, it sets something in motion. His mother said unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And that's, that is an excellent thing because most of the time Jesus didn't say something that made sense. Most of the time it was something that was counter-cultural or, or counter-scientific or whatever. Most of the time, but just do whatever he says. So there were six water pots of stone as the manner of purifying was. Jesus said unto them in verse 7, fill the water pots with water. <laughs> and so you start to see that there's a flowing of water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now I love this because up to the brim would be completely full. And this is what happens when God pours out his spirit upon man. It starts to overwhelm to the point where it's bubbling up and over and it starts to come out and flow over the brim or the rim out of the lips. Ah. To the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now. So what we see is there's a filling them up and then there's a drawing them out. And what we can draw from this, what we can see from this, is what started in the natural, pour the water in, but when they drew it out, something happened. When something was, hmm, when something was, when, when instruction was followed in obedient faith, what started in natural water, what was drawn out, was spiritual wine. This wasn't just an event that happened at a wedding. This is something that's still happening today. And this is something that goes beyond just an initial infilling of the Holy Ghost. This is something that is active or ought to be active in our lives. If we can get this first principle that where there's a need and where there's a response in faith, God will move. Woman, it's not my time. But God couldn't resist the faith over and over and over again. We see in Scripture how God cannot resist faith. Oh. Thank you, Jesus. The need plus belief equals faith. God moves. I would ask you. Huh. First, I would ask, do you need the Holy Ghost? Because God will fill you today. God will fill you right now. And if you have the Holy Ghost, and if you've been in this a while, I would ask you, what is your need? What is your need? I have no problem asking myself what my need is. I know a great many needs I've got. All God needs is a need. A little bit of faith, and he is the answer. Amen. Water. Water. 
It all had to do with the movement of water. Number two, John chapter three. In verse one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered him, answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we see, once again, water. And we know water has to do with baptism, but it is also representative of the Spirit of God. And so what we see in Nicodemus is how one gets saved. And I would say, once again, if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and if you haven't gone down into waters of baptism... We can make that happen. God will fill you with this spirit. We've got water right here. So what would we tarry? What would hold us back from getting baptized? What would hold us back from coming into agreement with whatever he says? Just do it. And if you've already experienced that, as a great many of us have, I would say not only does this save us, but it keeps us saved must be born of the water and of the spirit. Jesus goes on to explain that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And we know, we hear about it all the time, we speak of it all the time, that there is, even on Sunday we heard of it, there is a war and a battle between the old man and the new man. We are still living in this, we are still living in the spirit. We are still needing to draw close to God and be living and, and increasing. This isn't something that was a one-time experience. Water is so necessary. And if the water ever stops, life dies. We need the spirit of God moving. Thank God we have the Spirit of God moving. And this is where I pause to say, once again, some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth warring for. Some things are worth sacrificing for. This is why we would have a great number of the congregation here on a Monday night praying and praying in the Spirit. Because if the water ever stops, life goes away. If the Holy Ghost ever stops being, out, uh, being outpoured, life goes away. We can't afford that. That's not for you and that's not for me. We've got a generation of people to reach. We've got a territory of people to reach. Keep the waters flowing. Keep the anointing flowing. Keep the, the spirit flowing. John chapter 4, 
On the way there, though, I got something highlighted here. It happens to be blue. Must be water. John chapter 3 and 22, on the way to chapter 4. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. So Jesus' disciples are baptizing. Verse 23, and John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salim. Because why? Because there was much water there. I underlined it twice. Because where there's water, there's life. And where the Spirit's moving, there's life. And where there's life, there's those being born again. If we keep the Spirit alive, if we keep the prayer alive, we keep moving forward and pressing forward in the Spirit, God's going to continue to pour out His Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Chapter 4. We'll start with verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. (laughs) Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son, Joseph. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. So there was water there. Because where there's life, there is always water. Without water, there is no life. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which is a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. This perhaps, this perhaps is almost before its time. The Samaritans were a half-breed. As the northern tribes were carried away into captivity, there were foreigners that were moved into the territory of the northern tribes. And Samaria is a result of this. They're a mixed breed of people brought in to change the culture and to change the name of the people. And this is where Jesus finds himself. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And so once again, we have an example of where there's a need, a little bit of faith. Jesus is giving some instruction. He's trying to get her to understand. He's trying to to entice her just a little bit. If you will but just ask in belief. You, You see what Jesus is saying? 
I want to give this to you. She's not even aware of it. He's trying to entice her. Oh, Jesus, entice us with your word tonight, God. Entice us with the principles of your word. God just wants to entice a few of us tonight to realize it's not over. It's just beginning. And he's wanting us to reach out in faith just a little while longer, yet one more time. And he's going to go ahead and meet the need and move in a mighty, mighty way. Oh, Jesus. I would have given you living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? I've shared this with you before, but I'll share it again. What she's saying is, you don't realize just how, how deep my wounds are. You don't have, I don't know who you are. You, you don't have what it takes to reach deep down into my heart and fix my hurts. You don't, ha you, you don't have the right tools or the knowledge or the understanding to reach down into my heart and heal my habits and to, to help me with my hangups. That's what she's really saying. But she don't know who she's talking to. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the author and the finisher of our faith. Art thou greater than our father Jacob in verse 12, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I know what it's like to be parched. I know you do too. Think of those times when you're so dry. Oh, you would give anything for a little bit of water. Just a little bit. Oh, come on. You ever been so dry in your soul? You would give just anything to feel the presence of God in an overwhelming way just one more time. Perhaps it's been a while. <laughs> Jesus is saying, just ask of me. I'm right here. I, I am your answer. You have the need. You bring it to me. Oh, Jesus, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Waters of salvation. They satisfied inward healing. This woman's need was met. She set something in motion that we don't even realize in the Gospels. What she sets in motion in her response in faith, you can actually tug on this string a little bit and you'll see some scriptures move in Acts when there's a people that are ready for the Holy Ghost because of this woman's faith. Waters of salvation satisfy the inward healing. Waters of salvation continue to heal the heart. So I would say once again, if you're in this place where this woman finds herself, there's a God here tonight. His name is Jesus. And what he's saying is, oh yeah, the water that I have, it will heal your heart. It will heal your soul. It will heal your mind. It will heal everything within inside of you. Oh, 
but I've been serving God a long time and I've gone through a great many things and, and I, I tell you, even, even in the church, I've been wounded and I, I, I've been done wrong. I feel dry. I don't even remember that day that I was filled. I have a word for you tonight. Don't buy into the lie. That lie's dry. Jesus is saying, I've got some water. And what I started, oh, what I started 2,000 years ago, uh, it's still in motion today. This water, it wasn't just for a woman at a well some 2,000 plus years ago. This is water that is still flowing today. It wasn't water for you the first time you were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Oh, but if you keep the river going, if you keep the water flowing, oh, stir it up within us, Jesus. Ah, It'll heal you again, just like it healed her. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. John chapter 5. After this, verse 1, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida. Having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Waiting for the moving of the water. Waiting for the moving of the water. It might just be time to dig deep and start stirring some things up. It might just be time that you got to step out in faith and start to get some water moving. Oh, it's there. It's there. He's real. He's here. But you may just have to do some stirring of the water. Hmm. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. I've got news for you. Your season is as soon as you trouble the water. You don't got to wait for some angel to come down. You don't got to wait for Jesus to hang on the, the, the cross of Calvary. It's already been done. It's already finished. He's already set it in motion. The water is already available. And once again, oh, this is something we must keep alive and is worth fighting for. Amen, amen, amen. So, what does it look like? What does it look like for us? Waters of salvation healed the body in John chapter 5. And this, once again, in this place of faith, with, these, with this church of faith, this people of faith, the waters of salvation continue to heal the body. Our problem is we just don't believe it. We're not willing to stir. We're not willing to dig. When's the last time, Rob, that you stayed up all night wrestling and toiling for your answer? Jacob wrestled all night to get what he needed. And when he got it, it changed everything. And it's not that we have to earn anything. It's a faith issue. It really is. 
you know, I'll share this with you. My, my brother-in-law, <laughs> my brother-in-law is, is a man of faith, international preacher, international evangelist. Lost track of how many people he, he's prayed through to the Holy Ghost. Going on crusades multiple times a year. Thousands of people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's a man of faith. We go, we go, huh, we go to the cabin every Thanksgiving, which is way back in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. Somewhere near Kentucky, southern Indiana, and I don't know where. It's in the middle of nowhere. We go and we disconnect. It's wonderful. Get away from work, get away from family, even get away from church. No, not when you're a man of faith. He don't have a well there. They've got, a, they've got this uh, cistern that's buried sort of in the, in the ground. And it only holds so much water, fresh water, for bathing and things of that nature. And so when we go down there with the family, we burn through all this water. And so my brother-in-law, the man of faith that he is, he has the day after Thanksgiving every year, the, the water man comes and delivers water. First time he came, my brother-in-law, we're on vacation. He prays him through to the Holy Ghost. The man's filled with the Holy Ghost because he's a man of faith. And I know, and, and it's all right. It's all right. God, you know, God gave us the fivefold ministry, right? Some pastors, right? Evangelists, apostles, teachers. What's the fifth one? I think I said evangelists, but that's the one that, that I'm going to make the point about. The evangelist operates in faith. I, 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 I used to, it used to bother me that I haven't prayed the water man through the Holy Ghost. <laughs> He's an evangelist. My, my calling's a little different, and that's all right. That's all right. Don't get tripped up over it. The point is, here's my point with this story. I've wondered, in that realm of faith, that, that I, the stories even include people being raised from the dead in the United States. It is, is it, does it happen because He's a man of faith, or, or how exactly does it happen for people who operate in this realm? And, and this is the conclusion I came to, and you can agree or disagree. It's not, it's not what doesn't happen that affects him. Because I know he's prayed for people who haven't gotten the Holy Ghost. I know he's prayed for people who haven't gotten healed. I know he's prayed for people who haven't been delivered. I just never hear of those stories because the stories are to build our faith. It doesn't build faith when you hear about why God didn't. God has a reason and God knows it. My point was this. My brother-in-law does not operate in what didn't happen, but he also doesn't operate in what does happen. He just flat out believes either way. And it's kind of interesting, but if you think about it, 
<laughs> if you think about it, John chapter 2 still happens. God will meet the need. And he will move and take what starts out in the natural and flow into the supernatural or the spiritual. God will still operate in John chapter 3. And he'll still fill someone with the Holy Ghost. And they can be born again of the water and of the spirit. It, it hasn't changed. We still live in this era, in this time, the church age. God is still pouring out his spirit. It doesn't stop there. The waters of salvation that healed the woman who had been married five times and was not married to the man she was with then. And God still reached in and touched her and healed her heart. God still does that today. Ah, the waters are still flowing today. We can ignore the waters. We can turn the waters off. We can live in a place where they don't exist in our mind. Or we can believe the word of God as the word has gone forth from his mouth and it will accomplish that which he intends for it to accomplish. Okay, I'll wrap this up shortly. Let's go here. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. But unto every one of us. I'll pause for a second. Ephesians 4 and verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And before I go any further, anyone here want to try and measure that gift of grace of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you it's without measure. It's without end. Uh, interestingly enough, I'd say it's without beginning. God's grace. Oh, I've said it before. God's grace. It goes before you. It comes behind you. It's got you hemmed in. His hand is upon you. You can't outrun God's grace. You can't get away from God's grace. Nobody can. The only thing that man can do is resist God's grace until his very last dying breath. Man expires, but grace never does. That's God's grace. Verse 8, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. You know, there's something happening here that this is speaking of. It's talking about not only the ascension, but it's referring to when he descended. Peter speaks of this. In 1 Peter, chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Jesus being the just 
for us the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Ah. I love the patterns that he lays out. Being put to death in the flesh, but being quickened by the Spirit. Oh, Jesus, help us to put to death our intellect, our natural intellect. And Lord, help us to reach hmm, in the new man in faith, Jesus, in that realm where you move, where you touch, where you heal, where you deliver. By which, in verse 19, he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, this is where I say, let me keep your attention, because there are probably some of us here who want to get distracted now at this point with this verse. Don't get distracted. But I'll ask the question, what did Jesus preach after he hung on the cross and he ascended hmm, to the abode of the evil spirits? While he was in the grave, what was it that Jesus preached? <laughs> well, I, I think he preached, you know what? I'm righteous. I'm spotless. I'm the perfect lamb. I, I just shed my... I, who am without sin, just shed my blood to redeem those who are lost in sin. He's preaching to the captive spirits. He led captivity captive, as we just read a moment ago. In the process of his sermon, he's about to take all those Old Testament saints who died under the law where their sins were just being rolled over for one more year, one more year, pushed back one more year, one more year, and Jesus shows up on the scene and he leads all those captive hmm, to freedom. That's one thing that happened. But in the process of his sermon, I believe he's saying, ah, the stronghold you used to have the agreement that you made all way back in the Garden of Eden when sin entered this world by one man and by sin entered death. Jesus was saying, ah, I'm breaking that agreement and I'm starting a new covenant. And anyone who wants to be in agreement with this covenant you no longer have authority over. So those who are hurting, oh, evil spirits, you have no more dominion over them when they call upon my name. Those who are hungering and thirsting and lost and dry, you no longer can hold them. You don't have the authority. I uh, now have this authority. I have redeemed them with my blood. Oh, and by the way, if that wasn't good enough, I'm going to take those keys to death and to hell. I'll take those keys from you. If God could take the keys to death, 
probably the most feared thing in the world. Oh, it's, it moves us so, so much. We're so afraid of it that we prolong it as much as we possibly can. We'll change our diets. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the gym. We'll kill ourselves on the treadmill just to try and prolong a few more moments. And Jesus said, I'll take those keys. You no longer, you realize what happened. Satan no longer has the authority. He no longer has the authority to hurt you. Jesus has all the authority. Jesus has the keys. And so when I say in this word of encouragement tonight, ah, that was set, what was set forth in John chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, that yes, the waters need to continue to flow because your healing is still available to you if you'll reach in faith. Final scripture. I'll end early for me. Sister Bauer, if you would come to the organ. First Timothy chapter one and verse six. We'll start with verse 5. 2 Timothy. Second Timothy 1 and 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, I ask you, why was he calling it to remembrance? Was it something perhaps forgotten? I don't know. But Paul's feeling it necessary to call it to remembrance, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also. Paul's saying, he may just be that Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm a little nervous that the water slowed down a little bit. It may be it slowed to a trickle. I, I don't know. I, it, it may be that it stopped altogether. So wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Stir it up. Some things are worth fighting for. This is worth fighting for. This is real. This is where it happens. This is where the spiritual rubber meets the road. It's in prayer and it's in the spirit. We need to be able to pray in the spirit. The spirit can pray in ways we cannot pray. Praying in the spirit can accomplish things we can't accomplish. We don't know how to pray, but the spirit knows how to pray. This ought not to make us feel uncomfortable. We ought to be familiar with this. I'm encouraging you tonight.
Stir up that gift. Get that water flowing again. Where there's water, there's life. Stir up that gift that's within you. Great job on, on Monday night. We're not done. We're just getting started. Keep at it. Keep pressing on. Keep moving forward. If you're feeling dry tonight, you don't need to stay dry. God is here. God wants to go ahead and refill you again. He wants you to stir it up within you, that gift. Ah, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power and of love and a sound mind. Let's stand. The anointed waters of salvation. We got to keep them flowing. Stir the waters. Stir the anointing. Stir the spirit. Where there is much water. No. I'm going to rewrite that. Where there is water, there is life. And at the risk of sounding like my father, perhaps where there is much water, there is much life. Some things are worth fighting for. Sorry, Mike and Robin. <laughs> God is so good, and he loves us so much. What we have, what he's given us, the gift that he's placed within us. Oh, stir it up. The Bible says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. It doesn't change. It doesn't go away. It's there. It never leaves. He, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's as close as the mention of his name. So if you are finding yourself in any way, shape, or form, like any of these examples... God's not going to leave you there. God's not going to leave you there. But reach for him. Reach for him. Fight for it and war for it. And we're going to see God do a mighty, mighty work in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.